0: Hear God's word from Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son. In his old age. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have come to you in praise. We have come to you in confession. And yet, God, it says in your word that we should bring all our requests before you. So, Lord, we do so now. We thank you for your abundant and infinite and matchless grace that you ask your people to bring all before Your throne, so God, we pray now for the, the needs of our congregation, and we pray for those who are who are sick, Lord. We thank you so much for how you have sustained Ken Teter. We pray that you would continue to do so, Lord. We pray that you would continue to give him the sweetness of spirits as he's walking after you. And we thank you for bringing Miss Jean with us today. We thank you so much for for healing her. We pray, to God, that you would continue to heal her body. We thank you for having Miss Patsy with us this morning. We pray that you and your grace will continue to shine upon her. Father, we thank you for the the growth and the healing you've given uh, Jerry Green. We thank you so much for allowing him uh, to be here in worship today. Father, we we pray for all uh, those coming up and going on the mission trip. God, we pray that you would just uh, make a straight path for them. We pray that you would continue to help them provide for their financial needs, Lord, uh, as they go and serve you in the power of the gospel overseas. Father, we thank you so much for our uh, for our nation, the nation that you have given us. Uh, Lord, we we pray now for our our school principals, Lord, uh, who have so much on their plate. God, we pray, Lord, that you would just give them wisdom as they administrate uh, your schools. We pray, God, in, in your kindness, that you would just um, help them lead in a godly and um, glorifying way. Father, we pray for our. Our firemen, Lord, we thank you so much for Tim and Jimmy here with us. Lord, we thank you so much for how they serve our community so faithfully. God, we pray for your protection over them. We pray that as they go on call after call, that they would be able to to be your hands and feet uh, caring for the needs of our community. God, we thank you so much for the privilege you've given us to serve one another. Father, we also just continue to pray for the gospel to go forth overseas. Lord, we, we we pray for... Uh, Your church in China, God, we pray that your church would continue to grow there. Uh, We thank you for the reports uh, recently, God, that that China may be the the most Christian nation on the planet. So, dear God, we pray that you would continue to strengthen your people there, Father. Um, Lord God, we also just pray for our community. We pray for the gospel to go forth in our community. We pray for uh, Joey Deese this morning at Oakdale Baptist Church. We pray, God, that as he stands in the pulpit to declare your word to your people, that you would fill him up with your spirit. That as he preaches, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would would go before him to take the message upon the hearts of the people of Oakdale. And God, now as we come before you as the people of Park Baptist Church, we ask, God, that you would soften our hearts. Uh, We pray that you would make us receptive to your holy word. God, we do not need just another word from a man. We need a word from God. Father we, you know exactly what people are dealing with this morning. you know their pains, you know their their weaknesses, you know their trials, their temptations, God, their fears, their anxieties. So God I pray that through this word you would meet people right where they're at that the word of God would be would be announced and you would preach through me by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, we pray God that you would help us have joy and to have a joy in, in our individual lives, joys in our home, joy in our church community. We pray, God, that we would radiate joy, understanding what you have done for us in the gospel of the Lord Christ. So, Father, we are excited for what you're going to do this morning. We pray that you would just build up your people into your likeness, God. Help us be a better reflection of you to each other and to our world. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. What do you see when you look upon this world? In 249 AD, Cyprian of Carthage wrote to his friend Donatus. He goes, this starts this way. Donatus, this is a cheerful world indeed as I see it from my fair garden under the shadow of my vines. But if I could ascend some high mountain and look over Out over the wide lands, you know very well that I should see brigards of highways, pirates on the seas, armies fighting, cities burning, in the amphitheaters, men murdered to a pleasing and applauding crowds, selfishness and cruelty and misery and despair under all roofs. Donatus, it is a bad world an incredibly bad world. Cyprian, in his day, 249 A.D., saw the atrocities of this world. Now, if he saw those atrocities in his world, how much more can we see the evil in our day? The growth of global news coverage, instant information to worldwide events, compound the reality that we face every single day in seeing the evil in our world. We can stand in our our backyard, as, as I often do, and watch my children playing with the neighborhood kids, and I can say this is a beautiful picture of the world from my garden, joy and happiness. But as soon as we open our newspapers, our computers, our phones, cruelty, misery, despair fly towards us as an airplane toward the runway. We would say it is a bad world, an incredibly bad world. When Cyprian wrote that letter to Donatus, he didn't end there. He, he kept on going. He said, Donatus, I have discovered the mist of it in a company of quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, are the Christians, and I am one of them. It was the joy that Cyprian saw in Christian that softened his heart that made him want to believe in the gospel and turn to Christ. He said that they are masters of their souls. He saw them have joy in the midst of their persecution. It wasn't that that the life was going well for the Christians, but even in despair and persecution, they had joy. They were outcast and marginalized. Now at this time, Cyprian was about 45 years old. He lived a comfortable life. He inherited some money from his, his family, was pursuing law, and later became a senator. So at 45 years old, when, when, when most people think about um, uh, not changing, indisposed to change, he left his comfort, his wealth, to follow Christ. He left worldly riches because he had desired eternal joy. He had everything this world could offer, yet he did not have what, what Christians should have. He did not have joy. He wanted the joy he saw in Christians. So as we can begin this morning, do you have joy? Do, you, do, do, do people see joy in our community, the community of Park Baptist Church? Would people say, that, say of us that they have found a joy that is a thousand times better than than any pleasures of a sinful life. Would our joy here, when people walked into our community, if they saw the joy in how we live with one another, would they want to become a Christian? Christians should be a joyful people. The U.S. Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, one of the most influ- influential judges in our history, uh, was remarking about why he, he chose to go into the law He he remarked, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked or acted so much like undertakers. I pray as, as we gather week in and week out that our community here would be a people of joy. And our joy would draw others to Christ. So as we see in Genesis 21, we see the birth of Isaac. The birth of a child is a great reason for joy. But the birth of Isaac is especially, especially a reason for joy. And in order to understand that the joy that Sarah and Abraham had, we have to first understand their grief. So if you want to follow along in the outline provided for you, the first is the joyless laugh of a present grief. The joyless laugh of a present grief. Abraham was 75 years old when God called him to leave his father and journey to the land that he would show him, the land of Canaan. Uh, God promised to make him a great nation through his own body, through his offspring. But there was a problem. Go back in your Bibles and look at Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, the beginning of Abraham's story. In verse 30 it says, Sarai, Abraham's wife, was barren. She had no child. Abraham and Sarah waited and waited for a child to fulfill the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 12. They began to complain and question God's faithfulness in Genesis 15. Turn a few chapters ahead to Genesis 15. Genesis 15 verse 2. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and the member of my household will be my heir. Well, God reassured Abraham there and reminded him of the promise to give him a child of his very own. And it said that Abraham believed God in verse 6, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed, and yet he was still childless, without an heir. Have you ever wanted something so bad, and you waited, and you waited, and you waited for that each passing day you felt more and more hopeless. Well, Genesis 16:1, the story continues. This is now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. You just see this again and again, weaving through the story, And what we know in that culture, uh, it was customary for if a woman could not bear children, that her husband was to produce children with a slave girl. So Sarai, at this time gave Hagar to Abram. In Genesis 16:15, the end of chapter 16, we read, And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom a- Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So problem solved, right? Abram now has a son. And God waits 13 more years until Abraham is now 99 years old. There's no 99-year-olds in the room, right? Where's Max? Joke. And he reminds him that God has made a promise to make him a great nation through his own offspring. Sarah and Abraham have been waiting for 24 years for that original promise and when he was, Abraham was 75 that you will have a, a child. And really they were probably waiting for more like 60 years when they were at childbearing age. So at this point, they don't have a lot of hope that they will ever have a child. Their present grief constrained their joy. And yet God has not changed his mind. He has not shifted from his promise God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet Abraham laughs at God. Look at Genesis 17. I wanted to get here a couple weeks ago. I didn't have time. Genesis 15, 17, beginning of verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, she shall not be called her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Now notice what Abram does. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. See, Abraham laughed at God in disbelief. He begged that Ishmael would be his heir. He has seen Ishmael grow up. He's now 13 years old. So God reminds Abra- Abraham that his, his plan had not changed. Look what, he, look what he says in the next verse. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call. His name, Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. He hasn't changed his mind. The promise is still there. I will provide for you a son and a a generation following him. Well, God visits Abraham and Sarah again in the next chapter, chapter 18, and we see further disbelief. And remember, this is waiting and waiting. God says, this is what I'm going to do. And they don't see God fulfilling in their time what God has promised. So they become more and more hopeless, more and more obstinate to God's word. Look what it says in chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. And they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So we see Abraham laughing in disbelief. Now we see Sarah laughing in disbelief. Now, if you're going to read this, I, I recommend that you do so. Begin in chapter. End of chapter 11 and read all the way through chapter 21. And what you see is you see these refrains. You see laughter repeated again and again. You see the idea of of being born and a son repeated throughout the text. Remember, this culture is an auditory culture. They would not be able to see this. They would would catch on to those words. God is trying to drive a point home again and again as he's writing this text. They were longing for a child. They waited for years. And nothing had happened changed. When we look at our present grief, the things that we are dealing with, it is easy to create a joyless, disbelieving laugh. There may be some of you here today who have that joyless, disbelieving laugh like Abraham and Sarah. The joyless laugh of a wife waiting for a husband to change. The joyless laugh of a mother waiting for her child to come back to God. The joyless laugh of a man waiting for a job to provide for his family. The joyless laugh of a young woman waiting to find a a husband to to start a family. The joyless laugh of of the chronic pain that will not cease. The joyless laugh of the depression that will not lift. The joyless laugh of overcoming sin. The joyless laugh of disbelief, beloved, comes for many reasons. But its root, its root is always expressed with the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? When we start to have that joyless, disbelieving laugh, we start to doubt that God has the power to keep his word. Now remember the audience in which Genesis was written. It was written to the nation of Israel as they were in the desert about to enter the promised land. They had been wandering for 40 years because their fathers looked at the promised land and said, we can't go in because the people are too big. Waiting to enter a land of giants. Waiting to enter a land of strong armies. Waiting to be confronted with the pagan gods. Waiting and waiting. And God tells them by reminding them what God did for Abraham and said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is God able to save? Is God able to deliver his people? And That question would have resonated with Israel. And, beloved, that question will often resonate with us. You know, after the rich young ruler turned away from Jesus, Jesus says, there's one thing that you lack. Go sell all your possessions and then follow me. And, and he, he went away sad because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus said these words, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The wealthy cannot be saved by their riches. And those around him said, then who can be saved? Is it possible for God to give a child to an old man and a worn-out woman? Is it possible for God to save sinners? Is it possible for God to save you who continue to struggle with the same sin? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the disbelieving, joyless laugh. I believe that God has given us this long story of waiting and disbelief to teach us of our inability To solve our greatest need. The greatest problem of man is separation from God. Man is dispelled from the garden in Genesis chapter 3, cut off from God, unable to enter His presence. And we know why. It's their sin. We know why not only because we read it in the text. We know why because of our own hearts. When we look inside the things that we believe and the things that we think and the things that we have done, our hearts condemn us. They convict us of how we are unrighteous. We are unholy. Now, we may try to justify ourselves in our head before God, but when when we're we're alone, when we're we're thinking about, about our relationship with God and the sin that we have committed, we understand our depravity. And at that moment, we may ask, who can be saved? Can I be saved? An unrighteous, unworthy, desperate sinner and God says to us in that moment is anything too hard for the Lord he wants to turn our joyless disbelieving laughter to a joyful one that we may rejoice as we trust in his promised grace second point the joyful laugh of promised grace the joyful laugh of promised grace the Lord always keeps his word full stop The Lord always keeps his word. Abraham was promised a child at 75 years old. And now at 25 years later, God fulfills his word. Look at Genesis 21, our text this morning. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. You just notice the refrain, as he had said, as he had promised, as he had spoken. God keeps his word. Professor of the Old Testament, former professor of the Old Testament at Southeastern, John Stalheimer, notes, The plan not only came about, but more importantly, it happened as it was announced. Thus the narrative calls attention to God's faithfulness to his word and to his careful attention to the details of his plan. God will keep his word. How often do we need to be reminded that God keeps his word? The entire story of God's people rests upon his word. Will we trust him? Again and again, He has shown His faithfulness to the people of God in Israel. People of God in the New Testament. Again and again, He has shown faithfulness to you in your life. And yet we need to be reminded again and again to trust Him. He causes the sun to rise each day. We know that He will never leave us nor forsake us. The promise of God is as true as the completion of that promise. So when God says it will happen, it is as good as done. The Old Testament is full of the promises made. And yet, we, living on this side of the cross, see the fulfillment of how those promises have been kept. God was faithful to Abraham and Sarah. He was faithful to Israel, faithful to David, faithful to Nehemiah. And finally, he was faithful in sending forth his son, Jesus Christ. Now, the name Isaac, the son of promise, means laughter. Isaac would forever remind Abraham and Sarah of their disbelieving laughter and how they will be laughed over with joyful, gracious laughter. Look what the text says in verse 3. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him. Do you see the repetition? Isaac. When he was eight. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Israel would be reminded to laugh, to have joy as God is faithful to his promises. They would have been reminded as our opening scripture this morning, Psalm 126, 1 through 3. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. We were like those who who dream that our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Israel was called to be a joyful people because they wanted to to radiate the joy that God gives His people. As Israel was called to live in joy, so are we. Do we have that joy? Beloved, we live after the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God promised to send that child through a virgin whose name was going to be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. If the birth of Isaac would cause Sarah and Abraham and all who who hear of it to have joy, how much more the coming of the the birth of the Son of God. Jesus Christ was born to to the Virgin Mary, and this is what Mary exclaimed in Luke chapter 1. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked at my humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God gave a son for Israel. Really, The birth of the nation is the birthing of Isaac And now he's given us a Savior in whom we are now called to rejoice. Jesus, the Savior of the world. He was born of God so that he is without sin. He was born of woman so that he could become sin. Jesus died on the cross bearing the sin of the world. He was crucified, dead, and buried. But God raised him from the dead. He now sits at the right hand of God in the majesty on high. And he ever lives to make intercession for his people. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will always be with the Lord. Whether we live or whether we die, we will always be with the Lord. God did the impossible by sending the promised Son to be the Savior of the world. Isaac was the first fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And Jesus Christ was the final fulfillment of that promise promise. This is one of the reasons why Christians should live in joy. This is why, no matter what we're dealing with circumstantially in our lives, we can have joy. We have been bought with a price. We have been redeemed, forgiven. We are saved. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of God's mercy. I have been uh, dealing with this idea of joy uh, for several months now. When I was going through Acts, um in a Bible study, this, this Acts chapter 8 has just kind of popped out at me. Um, uh, listen to, to the description of Philip. So Philip was one of the first deacons, and he was preaching the gospel in the city of Samaria. I want you to hear what, what the, the ministry of Christians should do for the city. Acts chapter 8, beginning of verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, ministry. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who had, who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So the ministry of the church... Christians leaving these walls with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, loving and caring for our neighbors, speaking the, the, the beautiful truth of the gospel to those who are lost, should bring joy to our city. And as Christians, we should long for that joy, that joy that we want others to see. I was so encouraged uh, this past week. This has just been an incredibly encouraging week as a pastor. Uh, it seems like every time I've had a chance to break God's word with God's people this week, it's just been a, a sweet time. It really has. And one of the things that I have heard that I've been so blessed by is the joy that people see in our community. They see joy. They walk in and say, Well, why do you want to become a member of our church? Why do you want to, to? Why park? The joy. The joy that I see in this place. So as a pastor, I see what I'm preaching to you already happening. and As as, as Paul wrote to the the Thessalonians that they had love to do so more and more. I pray for you that we would have joy and that we would have it more and more. Let me close with this last point. The joyful laugh of a powerful God. The joyful laugh of a powerful God. God asks, is anything too hard for the Lord? We can almost hear that question being answered by Sarah herself. Look at verse 7 of chapter 21. And Sarah said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in old age. Who would have said it? God said it. And God keeps His word. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. He is the God of power. The birth of Isaac is is just an example of the power of God we see throughout throughout the Bible. The ultimate display of God's power is the resurrection of the Lord Christ. He conquered the grave and left an empty tomb. His resurrection power is now displayed throughout all eternity as scores of Christians trust in the resurrection more than this world, even in the face of execution and martyrdom. See, Christians can live in joy. Christians can live in joy because this world is a temporary home. We are exiles and strangers in this land, and our hearts long for a better country, a heavenly one. And we are looking forward to that great city whose designer and builder is God. Cyprian of Carthage saw the joy of the early Christians and turned from his sins and followed Christ. Left comfort, left riches. He believed in the promise of God's grace. He believed in the power of God displayed in the resurrection of Christ. The joy he saw in Christians became his joy on the 14th of September In 258 A.D., Cyprian was sentenced to death. As he was led to the execution, no pagan was shouting. He had won their respect with the grace of his life. He lived with joy in the midst of despair. Listen to an account of Cyprian's death. Cyprian took off his cloak and knelt silently in prayer. After a few moments, he got back on his feet and took off his tunic, handing it to his friend, Pontius, bring out the executioner. A tall, muscular soldier stepped forward with a heavy sword and guided Cyprian, clad only in his linen garments, to his last seat as bishop. Cyprian turned to the crowd of supporters. Please show some kindness to this man and pay him for his services, he cried. The assembly murmured and several hands came forward. Pontius collected money and gave the executioner. Twenty-five gold pieces. Then he embraced the bishop and tied a bandage over Cyprian's eyes. The executioner guided his victim to position. The experienced hands that held the sword began to tremble. Never had the executioner seen such resoluteness in a condemned man, or such generosity of the witnesses. He aligned his sword with the outstretched neck before him, but he couldn't swing. Instead, he he nudged the blade into the dirt and drew back to steady himself. Executioner, shouted the centurion. You follow through. Yes, sir, was the reply. But it didn't move. The centurion grabbed his sword and glared at the executioner and said, it is an honor to serve the emperor. Cyprian whispered, it is an honor to serve the king. With a single decisive swing, the bishop's head fell from his body. Preaching his last sermon. Cyprian died for Christ, experienced the joyful laughter of the resurrection in the presence of his Lord. Cyprian's martyrdom reminded me of the words of another martyr. Philippians chapter one, verses nineteen through twenty-one. Paul writes, Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that though through your prayers and the help given to me by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. For I might eagerly hope and expect that I will in no way be ashamed, but that Christ will be exalted in my body by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Beloved, I pray you would find joy in the resurrection of Christ. I pray that you would live in that joy. God has promised grace, and he has the power to give it. We can all rejoice in life and in death. So, beloved, I pray, rejoice. Rejoice in Christ in the trials of today, for you know that one day you will